So the background surrounding Mark, just by way of reminder, Mark is the writer and he's writing predominantly to a Gentile church and this church is living under the rulership of Caesar Nero. Caesar Nero, he's a tyrant, he wished to destroy Christians, he wished to destroy the church. But Mark reminds them of the discourse that Jesus had with his disciples, pointing to the fact that yes, hard times were coming, terrible times were coming, but yet, the Son of Man, he will return. As we looked at, we called it the second advent. So in verse 26, we see that Jesus tells his disciples that he will come again. And that his second coming will be unlike that of his first coming. Nature will be one of the things to respond to his second coming. Yet, in verse 32, we see that the Son of Man, who is Jesus Christ, is mentioned in the grouping of persons who do not know when they will return. So Jesus doesn't know when he will return. So before we start on that can of worms, let us start with more simplistic, basic terms. No one knows, no man knows when Jesus will return. And we're just speaking about men here now. Throughout many religious organizations, our personal views, there have been times when professing prophets are merely men have spoken and said that Jesus will return on a particular day or that the world will end on at a particular time. And one of the most familiar times, or one of the most familiar times in my mind was 2012. Where it was 12, 12, 12, the world was supposed to end on this particular day. And of course, as we see, we know that the world hasn't ended. We are still here. Jesus warning towards his disciples in the first part of the Olivet Discourse, the abomination of desolation, he commands his disciples to flee. He warns them, or he warns that many will come in his name saying that I am the Messiah, or point towards other persons and call these persons Messiahs, seeking to mislead those who are instructed by Christ to flee. Yet, from then till now, people have been proclaiming false information pertaining to the Messiah and when he will return. But the scripture is clear. There are events that will occur before the second coming of Christ. Yet, no one, no man, knows when he will return. So let us watch for the signs of the time. Let us be aware of what is happening. Yet, let us not be superstitious. Let us not spend the days of our life, the time that God has given us, seeking to pinpoint the date of Christ's return or the date that the world will end. There is work to be done. Taking the time to pinpoint the date of Christ's return wastes his valuable time. Time that we can, be, we can spend doing the actual commands that Christ has called us to do. Christ has called us to raise our children in the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is a clear command. 
Men are called to love their wives and wives to respect their husbands. We are called to work and to do it as we do it unto the Lord. And we are also called to go and to make disciples. These are a few of the clear commands that are given within the scripture. Yet, there's no command within the Bible that calls a person to seek to pinpoint the day that Christ will return. It is just not there. The act of seeking to pinpoint a date of Christ's return or when the world will end is not only a colossal waste of time, but inevitably it shows that the person doesn't trust what the scripture says. Especially if this is a Christian, this is totally problematic. We must trust the word of God. Jesus said, only the Father knows. Let us believe it and not waste time and effort. Now let us get to that can of worms. As mentioned, Jesus is the Son of Man and he is mentioned in the grouping of persons who do not know when he will return. Opponents of Jesus Christ, the biblical Jesus, would point at this and say, Aha! Jesus is a God. He lacks knowledge. He doesn't even know when he will return. Opponents such possibly as Jehovah Witness are Mormons. However, this is not the case. It all boils down to what we believe about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The incarnation in basic terms is when God became man. Jesus is and remained fully God and became fully man. And at times throughout scripture, we see scripture speak about his divine side, but we also see scripture speaks about his human side. So an example of speaking towards his human side is Luke chapter 2, 52, which states, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. Jesus being fully God did not grow in wisdom, yet Jesus being fully man did. Jesus is the one who does the will of the Father, and who does the will of the Father perfectly. No one can make that claim, since all men sin and fall short of the glory of God. The Father has said about his Son, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The humility of Christ is seen by the God-man emptying himself. And we must be careful here and not think that emptying himself means that Jesus was less than God or he became less than God. But understand that he obeyed the Father's will perfectly as Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 to 8 states. Having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. In the same way that Jesus voluntarily gave his life, he also voluntarily limited his power and became a servant. Therefore, we can see that as Jesus spoke to his disciples on the Mount of Olives, the, that God the God-man limited his knowledge of his return to be obedient to the Father's will. This is why the God-man could say, 
only the Father knows. The humility of Christ is seen clearly here in the statement, no one knows, not angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. Yet, despite Jesus not knowing, he worked and he did the Father's will. So it's against this backdrop that Jesus tells his disciples to stay awake. Jesus uses imagery of a master leaving and going on a journey and leaving his servants in charge and cautioning them not to let him come back and find them sleeping. Other synoptic gospels which record this dialogue between Jesus and his disciples, such as Matthew chapter 24, or Luke chapter 21, state that people were being caught up with the cures of the world, which were both good and bad. Yet, the believer is commanded to stay awake and not to let the cures of this world consume them. In Mark, Jesus points out, that the disciples of Christ are to stay awake. J.C. Royal breaks it down in simple terms and states that we stay awake by watching, praying, and working. By watching, followers of Christ should be vigilant both externally and internally. When I speak about externally, I mean being your brother's keeper, keeping a watch over your local church and understanding that all believers are responsible for the health of their local church. And when I speak about internally, it means watching your heart. So when we speak about the external perspective, there's a real enemy who is seeking to destroy the church. Satan hates you. He's a lion seeking whom he may devour. And he wants to see God's bride destroyed. He seeks to destroy the bride by causing strife and unforgiveness within the body. By sending false teachers to the church that take your focus off of Christ and places it on false saviors or even things of this world. It is a good thing to know and to love other believers who are from different denominations, yet they are believers because they have a biblical view of Christ and they have a healthy view of salvation. And they're just trying their best to be obedient to Christ. Yet, it is also good to know the counterfeits of Christianity. Those who are outside the faith yet wrap themselves up in enough light trying to deceive even the elect, as Jesus warned his disciples. Those who would say they love Jesus, but their Jesus is not fully God and fully man. And those who would have a biblical view of Jesus, yes, but they believe that you are saved by works and faith. We do not want to be people with mere head knowledge, but we do need something in our heads to guard our hearts. When we speak about it internally, we are called to be vigilant and to examine our hearts. A call to examine ourselves is seen clearly throughout the scripture, especially by the Apostle Paul. Although we are saved, we have remaining corruption within us. We can easily forget that we exist for God and to make much of God and seek to make much of ourselves. We can easily let sin in, especially sin that God has freed us from. We must take watch over our souls. 
Jesus, who is the master, has left. And his enemies seek his destruction because they hate him and in return, they will hate you. We remain vigilant by keeping our hearts fixed upon God's word. Whether it's being our brother's keeper or the examination of our hearts, God's word is a light unto our path. It keeps us vigilant and it keeps us on guard. We keep awake, secondly, by praying. How are those believers who are living in hard times, times of tribulation, how are they to stay awake in a sinful world? We are called to pray. We need to be reliant upon God and know that we cannot do it ourselves. In this world, especially in many Christian circles, a motivation might say that you are strong, you are enough, right? And they are well-meaning, but the reality is we are weak on our own. We are weak. We are prone to fail, prone to wonder. If we stand before Christ's opponents in our own strength, we fail and we will become hardly. Prayer is a means of grace and it aids us in being filled with the Spirit. We need to remember that we have a good Father who cares for us. We can come to him when we haven't been vigilant about our sin and ask for forgiveness and cleansing. Or we can come to him and ask him to save the person who we've been sharing the gospel with for so long who has a wrong view of him. We're not only workers in the Father's house, but we are his children and he cares for us. Lastly, we stay awake by working. There are many good things within this world. Things that are seeking to distract our hearts and our focus off of Christ and off in fact of being a servant of God. Just as Jesus' will was to do that which the Father commanded him to do, just as Jesus worked and was not distracted, our desire, to be, our desire should be to be obedient to Christ and not to be caught up with the things of this world. Satan, the world, and our flesh can tempt us to do our will or do their will. Satan seeks to tempt, tempt us with gaining the world. He places cars, money, fame, things of this world before us and states, well, these things will satisfy you rather than being a servant, especially a suffering servant of Christ. The world wants you to do anything, anything but preach Christ. And that's why they try to change the mission statement. They will tell you things such as, well, the church should focus on helping the youth who are disadvantaged. Or the church main focus should be to feed the poor. And of course, these are not bad things. But at the end of the day, the church focus is to proclaim the gospel. Our flesh can look to our neighbor and covet the life and seek to look for the easy path, a path that doesn't involve persecution or doesn't involve hardship. Despite all these types of temptations, we have work to do. God saved you and he saved you unto good works, as Ephesians says, words that he predestined for you, not to stay upon a shelf and to look pretty. 
or North American friends, I don't know if they might know this example, but within our grandparents' house or within our mother's house, there's normally a shelf that has in China or dishware that you do not touch, right? It possibly is used once in a well, possibly at Christmas time, or is never touched. This is not what God has saved us onto. God has saved us to work. Whether this work might be strenuous or light, all believers are called to work, even though our workload might seem different. All believers are called to go and to make disciples, but all believers are not called to leave Barbados and to go to um, unreached places and proclaim the gospel. All believers are called to love their neighbor, but not all are called to be married and have difficult marriages. God's glory is the mission statement of all commands that we do, whether it be biblical or desires that he has now laid upon our regenerated hearts. Believers, keep focus, stay awake, and know that Christ will be back. Yet again, there's also a warning here to unbelievers. And it's not a call to stay awake, but a call to wake up. In the Gospel of Matthew, it recorded just as in the days of Noah, it will be in the days when the Son of Man returned. People will be eating, people will be drinking, and people will be being married, which is, you know, good things, just as it was in the days of Noah. And then the flood came and it destroyed all those who were not in the earth. God's judgment is coming. Despite what persons say, despite what persons say pertaining to the fact that we've been hearing this for so long, God, just as Jesus came at the first advent, there will be a second advent. Yet, he has prepared an ark just as he did with in the days of Noah. Jesus, in this second coming, is the ark. He is the only one who can keep you safe from the coming wrath. As stated earlier, Jesus always did the will of the Father. Philippians chapter 2, 8 states, And being found in human form, he humbled himself and and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. No man or woman could say that I always do the will of God perfectly, for all sin. We all lie, we all steal, we lust, we hate our neighbor, we are sinners. Yet, by faith, God can dismiss your sin and impute the righteousness of Christ in you. Unbeliever, heed the warning. Christ will return. <laughs>